Hello and welcome once again to the Foundry Church Podcast. My name is Joseph. I am the worship pastor here at the Foundry Church in Winter Springs, Florida. We hope you're having an awesome week so far. Uh, This past Sunday, it was week nine of our current series called The Many Faces of God. We're taking a walk through the Enneagram, uh, looking at those different sort of dominant personality types and what we can learn about ourselves and the people around us and ultimately what we can learn about the character and the nature of God. Uh, by by looking at those things. Um, this past Sunday was uh, uh, a bit of a strange one for me, at least. I preached, and so I was able to uh, preach on um, Enneagram Type 6, uh, which was doubly interesting because I am a Type 6. And so, um, uh, well, I, I'll tell you a little more in the outro to this message, just about how the week kind of landed on me. Um, but... For now, we hope that you uh, listen to and enjoy this message from our series, The Many Faces of God, about Enneagram Type 6s. Welcome! Welcome, welcome. Uh, Welcome to the Foundry Church, those of you who are here with us in person, also those of you who are joining us online. Uh, This is the Foundry Church, where we're all about a better you, a better world. My name is Joseph, Uh, I'm the worship pastor here, and Seth and his family are on vacation this week, Uh, so I get the the honor and the responsibility and the joy and the burden and the unwanted therapy session of preaching today. Um, We've been going through this series for a while now called uh, The Many Faces of God. We're taking a look at the Enneagram. Uh, For those of you who are maybe jumping in late, um, the Enneagram is this thing right over here or on the screen behind me. It's this complicated sort of uh, shape with nine points. Each point represents uh, sort of a dominant personality type. They're all interconnected and related, uh, but also distinct. And they each sort of uh, also represent a different characteristic attribute quality of God. Um, What I love about it over and above other personality assessments that I've done and seen and read about over the years is um, Number one, the Enneagram's a little more flexible um, than a lot of those. I don't know if you ever took like a Briggs-Myers assessment or Myers-Briggs, whatever it's called. Uh, They're like, you are an INFJ and nothing else ever. You know, that's sort of the the mentality. And uh, the Enneagram's a lot more flexible and it's also much more focused on your internal motivation rather than your exterior behavior, uh, which I appreciate. So for instance, in the first week of the series, I'm not making this up, six of you, came up and told Seth after the sermon that he opened yarn wrong. Uh, Because apparently he did. I'm going to try to open it right in a minute. We'll see how easy it actually is. But some of you might have done that because there is a right way to open yarn, and Seth did it wrong. Some of you might have done it because you saw how difficult it was and how it was going everywhere, and it was just so much harder for Seth than it had to be. And you really want to help him out. You really want to make his life easier and better, and some of you might have done it just because Seth didn't open it the way you would have done it, and that's unacceptable for anyone to do anything a way that you wouldn't have done, um, but that's, that's what I love about the Enneagram. Same behavior in all six of you crazy people who came up and talked to Seth, <laughs> but different internal motivations. So we're, we're approaching uh, the end of this journey through the Enneagram. We only have two numbers left. Uh, today we're talking about Enneagram sixes. Uh, Next week, we'll talk about sevens, and then there might be like a wrap-up week uh, after that. We haven't landed on that yet, but type six, 
uh, is often called the loyalist. Sixes are people who tend to be committed uh, and reliable and hardworking and trustworthy, but also cautious and indecisive. They can be evasive and anxious. Anxious is a word you're going to hear a lot today. Um, let's check in with Dr. Deb and learn a little more about Enneagram Sixes. Hello, Foundry family. Thanks for having me back this week to talk about Enneagram Type 6. So the experts say there are more people that identify as Type 6 than any other number. They're known as the loyal guardian. So let's learn a little about Type 6s because chances are you know a few. <laughs> Sixes are committed, responsible, faithful, suspicious. They're also anxious. Type sixes are courageous, loyal, and dutiful. The real source, though, of their anxiety is that they have this internal committee of voices that are constantly chiming in with contradictory thoughts. A multitude of different possibilities, analysis, worst case scenarios, and questions. This inner committee continually questions them to second guess themselves and doubt what they know. And they always like to consult others to get it, everybody else's opinion too. So the childhood message then for a type six, it's not okay to trust or depend on yourself. So a type six child might think no one was going to rescue them, leaving them abandoned. So the core longing is that you are safe and secure. So if you're a type six today, just know that. That's your core longing, that you're safe and secure. And in Jesus, you are. So the core fear is feeling fear itself, being without support, security, or guidance. They also fear being blamed, targeted, alone, or physically abandoned. The core desire for a type six is having security, guidance, and support. The core weakness, anxiety, you guessed it, scanning the horizon of life, trying to predict negative outcomes, which their internal committee is already questioning them about. And they're just the master of worst case scenario thinking. They remain in a constant state of worry and apprehension. Type sixes are some of the most reliable, hardworking, dutiful, and steady people out there. Their dependability, sense of humor, ability to foresee problems, and fierce loyalty cause them to be incredible team players. They hold groups together and benefit the common good. However, they are plagued with constant internal fear and uncertainty. They experience the world as a dangerous place where they must be hypervigilant, scanning things that could threaten their safety, security, and relationships. Whether they do this to avoid danger or challenge it head on, they can be prone to see and assume the worst. They manage their anxiety then by preemptively running through and preventing potential problems and negative outcomes. Inside their mind is this constantly nagging voice asking, what about this? What about that? They're very big on what ifs. Sixes can be plagued with uncertainty, self-doubt, worry, and catastrophic thinking. This leaves them feeling anxious and unable to relax and trust themselves and others. 
their mind can become muddled, hesitant to make decisions, and skeptical. They will focus on planning for and controlling catastrophes in their attempt to live in a world that is trouble-free and predictable. When they are healthy, sixes think systematically and can predict potential problems. They're very loyal and committed friends and are looking for similar qualities in others. Hope you learned something new about type six. Have a blessed day. All right, easy, easy to understand sixes, right? One of the, uh, one of the quotes uh, I, I found this week said sixes are often an intriguing bundle of contradictions. Um, and I resonate with that. All right, some quick stats. Um, uh, uh, sixes are, are like the middle of this little triad on the Enneagram right here. That's the thinking center. Uh, the dominant emotion is fear. Basic fear is of being without support or guidance, being, being alone, being left alone. Basic desire is to have security and support. The key motivation of sixes is to want to have security, to feel supported by others, to have certitude and assurance, to test the attitudes of others towards them. Sixes want to know where they stand with you. Uh, it's important to them. Uh, to fight against anxiety and insecurity. Okay, so we've been, we've been building this Enneagram as we go. We've been giving each um, color an opportunity, to, or each number an opportunity to choose their own color and sixes, uh, unfortunately for you guys, we're down to two. Um, so you get to choose between darkish blue and greenish blue. I don't know, teal. If, if you know you're a six, if you've been reading ahead or, or you've, you've done Enneagram stuff in the past, and you know you're a six or you strongly suspect you might be a six, shout it out. Which one? Darkish blue and blue is what I heard. Um, now, I'm going to test you yarn people because what I am told is the right way to open it is to dig inside this little hole and pull. Is there a right side of the? There's no yarn hanging out. If I pull some, it's just a mess. Some, some broke off. Um, okay, well, here's, here's the deal. Uh, it's not as, not as easy as you guys made it seem. Um, that's, that's what we've been doing, right? Okay, so six is right here. Uh, I'm going to tie this guy on. Um, sixes, when healthy, uh, grow towards the nine. They can take on uh, many of the positive uh, characteristics and attributes of the nine. They can, a, a healthy six can sort of move past or move through or make friends with their anxiety and can sort of move into a space of um, uh -oh, self-confidence and, um, and peacefulness in a way that uh, a lot of sixes uh, are not able to. I have created a problem for myself here, you guys. Let's see if I can get back down here. And um, would somebody mind tossing me that yarn? Thank you. I'm going to veto any future, thank you very much, uh, any future yarn-related uh, images or illustrations here. Uh, so sixes grow towards a nine. They can become um, 
much more peaceful and kind of at, at rest and safe and comfortable and secure than they would be otherwise. And sixes, uh, when stressed, tie another knot here, uh, will stress or disintegrate towards a three. Can take on a lot of the negative characteristics of a three. Um, that suspicion and sort of anxiety uh, that sixes live with can sort of start to manifest itself. Good grief with the yarn. Can manifest itself as, um, we're just going to do this, call it good, uh, as uh, almost like, like full-on paranoia and um, uh, very like denigrating towards others and blaming everybody else for their problems and all that kind of stuff. Um, I'm going to break our list of famous people for this week into two, uh, and then I'll tell you why. But our list of some famous uh, people who might be sixes, because this is all conjecture, uh, unless they've written or whatever about it. Uh, in the first group, we have Mark Twain, Sigmund Freud, J. Edgar Hoover, Richard Nixon, Malcolm X, George H.W. Bush, J.R.R. Tolkien, Robert F. Kennedy, and Michael Moore. And... In our second group, we have Bono, Bruce Springsteen, Spike Lee, Marilyn Monroe, Julia Roberts, Jennifer Aniston, Paul Rudd, David Letterman, Chris Rock, Meg Ryan, Tom Hanks, Sally Field, and like a thousand other people. What do you notice about these two lists, these two groups within Enneagram 6? A lot of actors, yeah, actors, musicians in that second group. Um, We haven't talked a lot in this series about wings, uh, but when you talk to people who have studied Enneagram stuff, they will talk about, oh, I'm a six with a five wing or something like that. And because sixes have all these contradictory voices um, inside, I think a a six's wing plays a bigger role in sort of determining their overall, like how they present than a lot of other numbers. For instance, last week, Seth talked about fives, the investigator. These are the people who who wanna learn and wanna see how things fit together and how things work and how things are interconnected and influence each other. And so when you have a six who wants security and wants to know where they stand and wants to, to, um, to, to feel like they're under an umbrella of protection in some ways, and you combine that with a five wing, you get people who create stories and narratives and structures, systems to help uh, like underscore and, and build that up. So you have some people who do this with fiction, like Tolkien or Mark Twain, right? They literally created stories, created narratives to sort of reinforce and, um, uh, and expound on their worldview. You have people like Sigmund Freud who tried to do that with psychology. Then you have people like J. Edgar Hoover, Richard Nixon, Malcolm X, you have some of these types who did it like politically, right? Uh, it was all about telling a story about the world as it was, or as they saw it, and the world as they wanted it to be. Again, right or wrong, that's what six-wing fives tend to do. And then down here, this group are the ones that are probably sixes with a seven-wing. Uh, we're going to talk about sevens, the enthusiast, next week. But uh, six with a, a seven-wing is probably a little more in touch with their emotions. They're able to take that, that chorus of voices in their head and use it and tap into it and see the world from other people's perspectives. And it lends itself to performers in a big way. Um, They can tap into that committee of voices. They can bring out different voices to express different ideas and emotions. Um, And what's just so interesting is like introvert and extrovert is this whole other category that kind of lays on top of all of this. And so like a very introverted 
six with a seven wing can come across like a six with a five wing. Sixes are hard. That's what I'm trying to say. Uh, And as Dr. Deb said, there's likely more sixes in this room and watching online than any other type. One of the sources I found said, uh, uh, some people believe as much as half of the world's population are sixes. There's a lot of sixes. Um, And it can be hard to type. So I I would say that if you've been with us through this series and you've not had an aha moment yet, um, you're not really sure what you are, you haven't heard a previous week and said, oh, that's definitely me, then there's a pretty good chance that you could be a six. And you know at least one six in your life because full disclosure, I'm like 90% sure that I'm a six with a five wing. Um, It's that internal committee of voices that keeps me from being 100% sure that I'm a six. Um, and the fact that every time I take an Enneagram test, it comes out as a nine, uh, which is weird. But I think I've discovered that I, I don't really want peace for peace's sake. I want peace because I want peace in my life. Um, anyways, so I, I'm pretty sure I'm a six with a five wing, but also I do creative things for a living and as a hobby. So who knows? What all sixes share to one degree or another is what Dr. Deb said and what you'll hear a lot about this morning, anxiety. Uh, What I've learned personally about anxiety over the last few years, uh, as I have begun to realize that I deal with some anxiety, is that it can be completely untethered from any actual life circumstance you're going through. Uh, Because the reality is, my life is pretty good. I love what I do. Um, I have an awesome wife, two awesome kids. Uh, We have a safe, warm, comfortable home. Um, I can't get any grass to grow at my house, but that shouldn't cause actual anxiety. The reality is I don't have a ton to actually be anxious about, but it is still there. And as I've learned more about anxiety, I've begun to realize that like my seven-year-old deals with some anxiety. Like what does a seven-year-old have to be anxious about, especially coming from, you know, our home, a pretty like safe, secure, comfortable, like all of our needs are met type of home. He doesn't have much to be anxious about, but if you deal with anxiety, if you're a person who struggles with it, you know you don't need a reason to be anxious. And in fact, looking around and not seeing anything to be anxious about oftentimes fills sixes with anxiety because we are worried that we're missing something that we should be anxious about. It's like this meme. Okay, what are you doing? My body, so tense, it's rigid. Bracing. Bracing for what? Doesn't matter. Just bracing. Well, can you not? Nothing's even happening. I'll be ready when it comes. Yeah, that's sixes. Or this one. It takes 10,000 hours to become an expert at something, so let me know if you have any questions about anxiety. I've put in my 10,000 hours. Because um, sixes can oftentimes have this like, propensity to, to overthink things, uh, sixes can often sort of spiral around inside our own heads and jump to conclusions like this. This is my favorite one. It's blurry, but it's glorious. Head first with reckless abandon, jumping to conclusions. That's what sixes do. And one more just because I love it. Uh, An Enneagram six meeting someone for the first time. Who are you? Are we enemies? (laughs) Like that's that's the sixes default view is I, I need to be a little bit suspicious. I need to be a little bit skeptical. When thinking uh, through who in the Bible embodies the qualities of a six, uh, it was a little bit difficult to narrow down, partly because if any given population is as much as half sixes, then that's probably true of people in the Bible as well. Um, 
But also, again, remember, the Enneagram is much more focused on what's happening internally in your head and your heart than what it is with exterior behavior. And one of the characteristics of a six is that they can be very hard to pin down because we have a hard time getting in touch with our inner guidance, our own interior life. Uh, We can be like a ping pong ball bouncing back and forth off of whatever influence is strongest at the moment. Sixes can be a bit reactive, right? Which means that whatever you say about sixes, the opposite is often almost just as true, right? Sixes are strong and weak. Sixes are trusting, but also very skeptical, uh, distrusting. Sixes can be defenders, fierce defenders. We can also be provokers. We can be sweet and sour, aggressive and passive. Sixes can be thinkers and doers, group people and individualists, all these things. Seth said last week when he was talking about fives that fives are kind of like cats and sixes are like dogs. And in the sense of like loyalty and being loyal to your people, yeah, sixes are, sixes are like dogs. But in terms of like all this other stuff, the, the, like the fickleness and the complexity and the contradictions and the unpredictability, I think sixes are cats. Um, so today you've got a six trying to identify and talk about sixes in the Bible. So it should be no surprise to you that there were three people that I really want to talk about today. Uh, and I, listen, I know in my head that I can't talk about three people. We don't have time for that. But I also know in my heart that I can't not mention them <laughs> at least a little bit. Um, one that I really wanted to talk about was the disciple Thomas, and the other was Ruth. Um, I literally set out to write this sermon about Ruth and then just got sidetracked in the process because the reality is like the Bible's written when it was written in the culture that it was written, and it, it was a very sort of male-dominated, driven culture, and so there's just not as much detail about a, a lot of women in the Bible. Um, So I I don't know, I might try to record a companion podcast episode or something this week to talk about Ruth and Thomas. But for now, we really need to talk about Peter. Um, Peter is an excellent example of a six in the Bible. He's he's like foremost among the disciples, right? He's part of Jesus' inner three with, uh, it's him and James and John. Uh, But it's not because he's the most knowledgeable. It's not because he is um, uh, the most loving (laughs) the most even-keeled or anything like that. It's because he was the most committed to Jesus and to the group. You see this all throughout his story. Peter latched onto Jesus as an authority figure like no one else. He had a share of screw-ups, but he's also the one who's primarily entrusted with carrying the kingdom forward, with carrying on Jesus' mission after the resurrection and the ascension. Remember, his name's actually Simon, Right? Peter is like a nickname. Peter in Greek is Petros, and it means rock. Right? So there's this story where um, Andrew, Peter's brother, meets Jesus. They're disciples at the time of John the Baptist, and they meet Jesus, and Jesus talks with them for a while, and then Andrew goes straight to find Peter, and he tells them, hey, we found the Messiah, Right? Peter is obviously looking for the Messiah. Otherwise, Andrew wouldn't think that interrupting Peter's day was something that he should do. Uh, but if you are a, a first century Jewish person looking for an authority figure, there could be no uh, greater authority figure to be on the lookout for than the Messiah, who they believed would, would free them from Roman occupation, 
uh, and oppression and restore the kingdom. And seeking safety and security and deliverance from an authority figure, it's a very sick thing to do. Uh, but there's this moment in Matthew 16 where Jesus like formally bestows uh, this nickname Peter onto Simon. It's from Matthew 16, uh, 13 through 19. We'll have it on screen here. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the son of man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, who had been executed by this point. Others say Elijah, still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you? He asked, who do you say I am? And Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, Petros. And on this rock, it's actually a slightly different word, it's Petra, it's interesting. On this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. So there's this moment where Jesus goes, yeah, you got it. That's it. You said it. Now you're Peter, right? Before, when he first met Peter, he said, Simon, you're going to be called Cephas, which is a different translation of Peter. I don't know why we have so many words for rock. Um, but there we have it. Um, here's a little secret about sixes. Uh, there's almost nothing that sixes love more than to be acknowledged and praised by someone that we have attached ourselves to, someone that we have said in our heart, that is someone for whom praise would mean a lot to me. For that person to praise uh, is incredible. Uh, I get the warm fuzzies just thinking about how Peter must have felt in that moment. Um, if sixes don't know you or have not identified you as someone for whom a compliment would be a, a high praise, uh, they may view that compliment as something to be suspicious of. Uh, but if you're someone we're looking for praise from, that's it. That's it. Uh, another instance in Peter's life that illustrates pretty well what it's like to be a six uh, is when Jesus and briefly Peter walked on water. Uh, this comes from Matthew 14. It's right after Jesus miraculously feeds this huge crowd of people. He sends the disciples away on a boat uh, to go ahead of him to the other side of the Sea of Galilee while he goes up on a mountain to pray. And later that night, he's there alone. Uh, we'll pick it up in verse 24. And the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. Now let's just stop for a second and acknowledge people don't walk on water, right? Uh, and so it's, it's crazy enough to see something walking on the water. You think it might be a ghost. Then Peter gets down and walks on the water. It's insane. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. And then there's this sentence and the end of it where Jesus, you know, kind of tacks on and he's like, hey, why did you doubt, man? You have little faith. But holy cow, there's a lot going on here with Peter. Let's just run through it a little bit. And I, I think you'll understand more 
about like the the contradictory picture of uh, the sixes that is like their fingerprint, this bundle of opposites thing. Uh, in Matthew uh, 14, verse 26, right, the disciples see him walking on the lake. They're terrified. It's a ghost, they said, right? So they're expressing, and Peter presumably is expressing along with them, fear of the unknown, right? People don't walk on water. Something is walking on the water towards us. We don't know what it is. Maybe it's a ghost. Fear of the unknown. In verse 28, he says, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come to you on the water. That's, I would call that skepticism, right? Uh, we think it might be a ghost, but it says it's Jesus. I, I don't know. It's almost certainly a trick. I don't know if I believe it, but I'm curious. Skepticism. Verse 29, come, he says. And Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. That is unbelievable courage and faith in who Jesus is. Like, this is an extreme act of courage and faith. I don't know if you know this, People don't walk on water. We sink, or maybe we float. At best, we swim. We don't walk on water. And so for Peter to actually step out of the boat and down into the water with all of these, you know, wind and waves just shows an absolutely incredible level of faith and trust in Jesus. And then in verse 30, he sees the wind. He's afraid and beginning to sink. He cries out, Lord, save me. That's insecurity. That's fear of the known. Right? He's looking around going, I'm a fisherman. I've grown up my whole life on the Sea of Galilee. I know how dangerous it is when the wind is up and the waves are up. And I am out of the boat, standing on the water. This is not good. Right? So if you're not a six, you need to understand this about sixes. This is what it's like to be a six. Fear of the unknown, skepticism, courage, faith insecurity, fear of the known. This is maybe two minutes of Peter's life. And he's swinging through all of that stuff in this really short span of time. If you're a six right now, you're thinking, oh, it feels so nice to be seen. And if you're not a six, you're thinking, wow, sixes are neurotic. And yeah, we can be, we can be. There's a big series of events in Peter's life that are worth looking at. It's everything surrounding the death and resurrection of Jesus. See, sixes, we can sometimes be too sure of ourselves um, and our beliefs. Uh, in Luke 22, uh, verses 31 through 34, they're at the Last Supper, and uh, uh, Jesus says this to Peter, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat there's a, like an entire doctoral dissertation in that sentence. We're not going to go there. But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. But he replied, Lord, I'm ready to go with you to prison and to death. And Jesus answered, I tell you, Peter, before the rooster crows today, you will deny three times that you know me. So that comes across in Luke's account as as overconfidence, right? Peter's too sure uh, of, of, what he, of what he believes and how he thinks he'll act. In John's account, in the Gospel of John, it reads more like fear of being left behind. It reads more like fear of being left out. This is in John 13. Jesus tells them, my children, I'll be with you only a little longer. Uh, you will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now where I'm going, you cannot come. We'll skip down to verse 36. Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? 
Right? You can almost picture Peter going, like, grabbing the arm of the chair and going, like, whoa, you're leaving? Where are you, where are you going? Jesus replied, where I'm going, you cannot follow now, but you will follow later. And Peter goes, why can't I follow you now? I'll lay down my life for you. And Jesus answered, I love this, because Jesus basically goes, really, dude? Will you really lay down your life for me? Very truly, I tell you, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. Following the supper, they go out to the Garden of Gethsemane. And they're confronted by this detachment of soldiers uh, who are there at the behest of uh, uh, the chief priests and the Pharisees. They're there to arrest Jesus, right? And then in John 18, 10, this happens. Then Simon Peter, who had a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant, cutting off his right ear. And then just the detail, the servant's name was Malchus, presumably because we know Malchus, you can go find him. this is like Peter the reactionary, Peter the defender. This is, this is Peter who couldn't stand the thought of his sense of place and security and authority being taken away from him. Peter who, in a very six-like way, lashed out at the perceived danger to his system and his people. And then later that night, during Jesus' trials, this is from Luke 22, seizing him, they led him away and took him into the house of the high priest. The hymn there is Jesus. Peter followed at a distance, and when some there had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and had sat down together, Peter sat down with them. A servant girl saw him seated there in the firelight. She looked closely at him and said, this man was with him, but he denied it. Woman, I don't know him, he said. A little later, someone else saw him and said, yeah, you also are one of them. Man, I am not, Peter replied. About an hour later, another asserted, certainly this fellow was with him, for he's a Galilean. Peter replied, man, I don't know what you're talking about. Just as he was speaking, this is hard enough. Just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. You know he immediately thought. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Can you imagine what Peter must have felt in that moment? And Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him uh, before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. Peter wept bitterly. Sixes, can you identify with Peter here? Have you ever been in one of those situations in your life when you're like, I got it, I got it, I know I got it. Ah, I don't got it. Right? Peter's going, I know what the right thing is to do, and I commit that I will do it. And then there's a little bit of outside pressure. And Peter goes, I'm no longer sure what the right thing is to do, so I will aim for self-preservation. And now I feel terrible about how I've acted. Peter wept bitterly because in that moment, the voice of cowardice, of self-preservation, of doubt, of fear, of weakness, won out over the voice of loyalty and commitment and faithfulness and strength. Peter felt that big. And he felt like everything in his life had fallen apart. It was bad enough that Jesus was getting hauled away to be arrested and put on trial and, and 
I'm sure at that point they're already expecting the worst. But then to also know that he, on a personal level, failed. He he betrayed Jesus this big. This big. But the truth is, Peter was stronger than he knew. Jesus saw that from the very beginning. That's why he gave him the nickname Peter, right? It means rock. Despite his failures, despite his hot and cold history, despite his flaws, despite everything that Peter saw in himself and was ashamed of, Peter was going to be that solid bedrock, that foundational member of the group that would build the church. It took some time for Peter to see in himself what Jesus had seen all along, but in the end, he became exactly what Jesus said he would be. He became the foundation that things rested on, the glue that held the group together through thick and thin. There's one final vignette from Peter's life that we need to look at. It's in John uh, 21. The disciples had been out fishing. This is after the death and resurrection of Jesus. There's this whole miraculous catch thing that's very similar to a previous miraculous catch. Peter jumps out of the boat. I don't know if he thinks he's going to walk on water again, but he jumps out and he swims to shore. They all have breakfast, and then this happens in verse 15. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? A couple of things. Number one, okay, can we go back, Sandy? Sorry. Simon, son of John, he doesn't call him Cephas, doesn't call him Peter, Simon, son of John. And then it's, it's sort of unclear, this phrase here, do you love me more than these? It's unclear in English. It's also a bit unclear in the Greek. Is Jesus saying, Simon, do you love me more than you love these other guys? Or is he saying, do you love me more than they love me? I happen to think it's the first one. I think Peter, throughout his whole story, throughout uh, everything we see about him, he's, he's been like the guy in the middle of the group, right? He's, he's, the, he's the one who's, who's loving others. He's a little wild. He's a little inconsistent, but he's there. He's the glue, right? He's the six. And Jesus is saying, do you love me more than you love the group? Do you love me more than you love this group of guys? Now let's keep going. Yes, Lord. He said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. If you recall, previously, um, Jesus had described himself as the good shepherd. And here in this moment, there's this beautiful symmetry, right? Peter denies Jesus three times. Jesus asks him to reaffirm his love three times. And three times he lays on him a charge to feed and take care of the sheep. Jesus is the good shepherd, but here he's instructing Peter to take over as the shepherd for the sheep of Jesus. He's doing what he said he would do in that first passage we looked at where he tells Peter, I'm going to give you the keys to the kingdom. Right? That, is, that is quite the turnaround. And it speaks to the faithfulness of God that when Peter failed, and really we're talking about over and over throughout the gospels, not just in this one instance here. 
Jesus didn't give up on him and move on to John or Bartholomew and start calling them Peter. Jesus was faithful. He saw what was deep inside of Peter and faithfully, lovingly called that out of him over time. Uh, He didn't give up on Peter. Instead, he demonstrated the faithfulness of God towards Peter, and it empowered and emboldened Peter to live into who he was created to be, the rock, the foundation on which the church was built. The faithfulness and courage shown towards Peter, when Peter was able to accept it and step into it, it like unlocked and turbocharged the faithfulness and courage that God had created him to display to the world for the benefit of the world. I'm gonna speak as if I'm not a six right here because I tried it both ways and it sounded very weird and self-aggrandizing to use the first person voice. So sixes, you must know, you, you have to come to know that you are stronger than you think. You're more capable than you think. We value your leadership, your loyalty, your commitment, even your questions. You are the bedrock of our churches and families and our neighborhoods and our organizations. Without you, we would all tend to simply drift apart. You keep us grounded and secure. You help provide the security that you so desire for yourself to the rest of us. Here again, the words of God repeated so often throughout the story of Israel from Deuteronomy 31.6, be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified because of them for the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you or forsake you. Here again, the words of Jesus to his disciples at the Last Supper in John 14.1, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. Some translations say you trust in God, Trust also in me. If you're six, here are a few things uh, you can do to help yourself avoid the pitfalls of your sixness and start to uh, live into who God has created you to be. Uh, Number one, shake hands with your anxiety. Recognize that it is not unusual at all to be anxious and be present in your anxiety. Don't just try to run from it. Um, Examine it. Come to terms with it instead of attempting to just push it away. Uh, Secondly is examine your relationship to authority, right? Be alert for unhealthy tendencies. Are you um, unthinkingly uh, uh, following or are you reflexively rebelling? Sixes do both, remember, bundle of contradictions and all that. Try to find a more nuanced and thoughtful middle way. Uh, Learn to identify what makes you overreact Also, remember that almost none of the things you have imagined happening, going wrong in your head, have ever gone wrong in the history of the world Um, because uh, you're imagining things going badly out of your anxiety and out of your fear. One of the quotes I ran across this week said, uh, for sixes, fear is faith that things will go badly. And that happens a lot. That happens with us. You can't always control external events. You can manage your own thoughts. Uh, Number four, work on becoming more trusting. Six is you have a gift for uh, for getting people to like you, but you may be afraid of making a commitment to them out of fear that you'll be abandoned or left. Extend to other people the courtesy that you desire for yourself and let people know how you feel about them. Uh, And lastly, pray for faith. 
Right? The opposite of fear and anxiety is not courage or bravery. The opposite of fear is faith, and faith is a gift from God. So pray for it. Here's a note to self. Uh, for sixes, dear self, don't get hung up on all that could go wrong. Remember, God has provided the best possible outcome for your worst case scenarios. God has already provided the best possible outcome for your worst case scenarios. And uh, if you are a non-six and you live with a six or have a relationship with a six, uh, here's some things to help you have healthy relationships with six. Number one, reassure them. Not all the time and not in a weird way, but just regularly and with heart, sixes need to know where they stand with you. Uh, Number two, reassure them. Um, Gently (laughs) remind them that the vast majority of worst case scenarios they've ever imagined have never happened. Uh, Number three, reassure them. Uh, Sixes (laughs) often have a hard time trusting themselves. And so hearing from you that a decision that they made um, or a, a, a word that they told you or something was helpful to you will be very helpful to them. And uh, the last is gently encourage their spontaneity. Um, six is we, we need to learn that uh, the world isn't always out to get us. We don't have to always control things to feel safe and secure. And six is if we can do these things, right, if, um, and if the people who love us can do these things and help us through this, then uh, we can begin to step more fully into who God has created us to be, uh, the faithful and loyal and courageous ones who sort of glue it all together. We're gonna move now into our response time, uh, similar format to what we've been doing throughout this whole series. In the room here, we're gonna have communion stations uh, around the room. Uh, There will be prayer partners at the prayer wall and over at the cross. Uh, If you're joining us online, uh, we invite you to take communion with us in this moment with whatever elements uh, you have available to you at home. Um, There are also prayer partners. If you're watching on our website, uh, you can click a button and have a private prayer chat. If you're watching on YouTube, there's not that. And so um, if you don't wanna throw a prayer request out into the internet in public forever, um, you can send an email to info at thefoundryc.org and we would love to pray for you um, as well. Uh, we're we're going to read a prayer together uh, as we've been doing. It's, it's the, the specific prayer for sixes. If you are or think you might be a six, then this prayer is kind of from your voice, from your perspective. And if you're not a six, then hopefully it will help you understand and empathize uh, with sixes. We're going to read that prayer and then I'll say a more general prayer and then we'll release you whenever you're ready to uh, respond. There's no rush. Um, take as much time as you, as you feel like you need uh, to pray, commune, and meditate, and wh- whatever else you feel like God is, is leading you to do today. But let's read this prayer together. Dear God, you are within me and beyond me, forever present. Your love enfolds me as I go about my days. I am not alone. My suspicions fade when held in your unwavering assurance of me. Empty me now of my anxieties and imaginings. Assuage my fears. Create in me a refuge for trusting myself. Remind me of my inner resources and power. All I need is within me to be called forth in trust so I may stand on my own solid foundation. 
Knowing your steady ground is with me, I move forward in an uncertain world. Guide me as I travel the path of courage so I may lean into myself when the waters are troubled, having faith in the unfolding, growing myself into my own authority. Hold me in the fearful times, hold me in the fearless times. In your holy ground, I rise to offer my full and powerful self in each moment. Uh, there you have it. If you're still with us, thank you for making it all the way through that message. I enjoy uh, preaching and teaching, but it's not something that I do all that often these days. And so um, definitely a little bit more of a, uh, a little more comfortable behind an instrument and a microphone uh, these days. I did not expect to get a little bit weepy. Did you catch that? There were a couple of spots in there where I, I almost, uh, almost like visibly teared up and uh, what I what I realized in the moment uh, was that the story of Peter was resonating with me so differently than it ever had before uh, number one because I think the last time that I preached or taught uh, students about Peter was probably many many years ago before I sort of invested in and, and got to know uh, a little bit about the Enneagram and so seeing Peter not just as the punchline of like the jokes like oh look there goes Peter crazy Peter uh, Im impulsive Peter you know Peter not just being sort of the butt of the joke but uh, instead being this representation of somebody who's got a lot of inner turmoil and and is just bouncing from one in some cases one extreme to the other really quickly and then also recognizing that in myself and understanding like I am an Enneagram 6 Peter seems to display a lot of these Enneagram 6 qualities. It made the story resonate with me in a really different way. And I hope that maybe you've had a similar experience with uh, your number if you're not a 6. If you've you know gone through this series with us and, and maybe you have experienced the story of a character in the Bible in a different way than you ever have because you're resonating on this sort of deeper level. Anyways... That's all for now. I'm done rambling. We hope that you've enjoyed this episode of the Foundry Church Podcast, and we hope that we'll see you back next week as we finish out The Many Faces of God. <laughs>